Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. Everybody, I'd like to welcome John Torpy, the head coach from High Point University, um, a guy that I've known for a long time. We worked together back at the University of Denver, where he was a defense coordinator and associate head coach. But prior to that, John grew up in Baltimore, went to Calvert Hall, went to Ohio State, got his coaching going um, early on it, with, with Mike Caravan at Denison, right, Torp? Yes, sir, yep. And then on to Goucher College as an assistant for a couple of years with Kyle Hannon, who's now uh, a competitor in your conference at Mercer. And then uh, I was lucky enough to get you to come out to join me at the University of Denver. From there, you went to Dartmouth for a year and then down to a startup situation at High Point. Torps, uh, awesome to have you on the show and welcome to the Philosophy podcast. What do you think of that word, Philosophy? I like it. I like it. You and I have spent a fair amount of time in our lives talking about lacrosse philosophy, which is, I've coined as a new word called philosophy. But um, awesome to have you on, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, buddy. Thanks for having me. It was really cool to see your uh, office there in the, in the background. It's a podcast, so no one's going to be able to see. But uh, how pumped are, are you to be at High Point? I, I have yet to see the campus other than from the glimpse I just got from your office. From what I understand, uh, if any recruit comes on campus, they fall in love with it. Tell us a little bit about how, how, uh, what it's like at, at your school. It's great. Um, we've got a fantastic university president who's got a total can-do attitude and uh, has put everybody in this, uh, on this campus in a position to succeed. We've got a fantastic athletic director who has been incredibly supportive. We are able to attract great students, great parents, um, phenomenal staff, and it's just been it's been a great seven years, and I tell people this all the time. I think we've only kind of scratched the surface of how good we can be. And um, like you said, I mean, it's 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 a place where I feel like one of the hardest parts for us in the recruiting process is getting guys down here. But once they get down, they see the campus, they're able to meet the staff. Uh, most importantly, they're able to meet the guys, take a tour of campus. Uh, like you said, most guys do fall in love with it. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. Very cool. Well, Torp, a couple of things um, I want to I start out with here is, first of all, is like t- talk, to, uh, talk to me a little bit about some of the most uh, important mentors um, in your life as it relates to life and slash coaching? Well, I mean, obviously my parents um, have been um, just amazing just in terms of the way that they developed my brother and I uh, gave us a real great sense for working hard and doing the right thing and, um, you know, made us value our educations maybe more than we would like to at certain times. But they were obviously the stalwarts of my life. Grandparents was fortunate enough to have uh, both sets of grandparents for a very long time. I still have two, two of my grandparents still alive, great grandparents. I mean, everyone in my family has had a great influence on who I am as a person and as a coach. But from a coaching standpoint, um, 
you know, I, I got to, you know, look, go down the tree. I mean, every guy that I've been able to work for, Mike Caravana, uh, Kyle Hannon, playing for Brian Kelly, Mike Thomas at Calvert Hall, the assistants I've had, having Joe Bresci as a coach, Paul Caldwell was a phenomenal guy. Um, yourself, I mean, what I learned from you and the, the way you develop guys individually, both on and off the field was remarkable. You know, Andy Towers and just how much he was invested in guys, you know, and their ability to get internships and job opportunities. And just all the guys that I've had on my staff have all had a major influence on who I am as a coach and who I am as a person. And then beyond that, I mean, my wife is, is my rock. She's the one that makes me you know, a better person every day with what she does. And now I'm fortunate enough to have three kids that do the same thing, but yeah, a lot of people in my life, it's uh, I wouldn't be here without the support of so many. And, you know, when I was young and probably not making the greatest decisions in the world as a student, or, you know, could have gone down a, a path of, you know, making social life a little bit more important than other things, people steered me back on the right path and forever grateful for that. Yeah, very cool. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting because there's a lot of coaches will be on this podcast and, and um, you know, whether they be high school coaches or college coaches, but it's to me, it's those relationships and those mentors and those people that you can go to that you've learned from over the course of time that are so important. And, um, you know, from a from a proactive perspective, how do you um, proactively try to find mentors and, and, and what do you do in, in your everyday life to try to get better and, and leverage the knowledge and, and, and uh, experience of others? Well, the communication piece with just, it starts with my staff to tell you the truth. Um, I learned so much from these guys every day and I've been blessed to have just amazing guys on my staff from, you know, past staff members to current staff members. We'll sit down, you know, every day and just talk about all aspects of the game. And, you know, it's something that I learned from, from you being out of Denver. It's like, we don't operate in silos. We have, each of us has a commanding voice in everything that we talk about with, you know, offense, defense, face-offs, riding, clearing. I mean, just the state of our team, our culture. I want all of our guys to have a hand in everything we do so that if you ever have that moment where for some reason you're not there, a guy can turn to somebody else on your staff and you know you're getting the, the same answer and it's in a piece of consistency from, from each of the members in there. And I think that's huge. I think, uh, you know, where you start to see some staffs break down is when, you know, guys do start um, operating in, in these silos where, you know, I'm in charge of this. Don't come in. Don't tell me that. And it really stunts your growth. And, you know, I can remember us having conversations at Denver at like 11 o'clock at night about, you know, certain aspects of what happened to practice that day or different ideas that were, you know, wanted to bounce off of one another. And I like that, you know, I need that um, kind of challenging environment to be a part of. And I think the other thing too, is just, it's exploring, you know, it's I mean, using social media and the internet and all these things are at your, at your fingertips now to, you know, watch different coaches online coach to, you know, watch videos to, you know, leave for the day you know yesterday I was fortunate enough to just go have lunch with Joe Bresci who was my college coach at Ohio State and we just sat down and we you know just spitballed some different things about the new rules and kind of what we wanted to do and how we you know felt like the changes were going to affect our teams and I think the more you can do that the more you can communicate with people that are around you every day and people that are considered to be the best at what they do in your profession uh, you're going to grow and you know for me that's the transfer transformational part of the day not just the transactional part which is just you know taking care of practice plans and things like that you got to go out and you got to you know make sure you're challenging yourself on a daily basis 
Yeah, it's learning, right? It's learning mentality. No doubt. It's funny because, like, I think back to, I mean, I've all, you know, you, you and I are similar in the sense that we're just, we could pretty much talk about lacrosse all day, every day. My wife's always like, oh, my God, can you ever <laughs> stop thinking about or talking about lacrosse? I'm like, I could if I had to, but um, I, like, I like to. So, um, but um, I just think back to, you know, the conversations of just calling somebody up and be like, what do you got? Like, what's new? You know, or, or whether it's, you know, all of the learning that happens just from, you know, interactions and conversations with staff or from watching film or from calling a friend or from meeting somebody, you're having lunch with a guy like Bresh or, you know, in season where it's like, all right, like, how are we going to, how are we going to stop this single invert? Like, this is really giving people problems and, and you have an opponent coming up and you call like the five last games that they played. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I personally think that the, edu- the the learning part of, you know, being a coach is really one of the most exciting parts. I think, I, I think to add on to that, I mean, I, I, what, you know, what I loved about coaching with you and what I've loved about coaching with all the guys that I've had the opportunity to do that with is I like guys that take risks, you know, and we fail a lot around here. You know, we fail sometimes in some of the skill development pieces we give with our guys. We fail with a set. We fail with, you know, the way we look at how we want to go into the season and what we think we are as opposed to what we are when all of a sudden we get punched in the mouth and we're kind of forced to pick ourselves back up. And, um, you know, that to me is just another piece where uh, I like taking risks. I like having our guys, you know, try different things and do different things. And I think, you know, another pitfall that guys fall into outside of just the silos in the office is, you know, you're afraid to do something that's different because you're yep. afraid to take that risk and you're afraid to fail because you don't know what that's going to look like. You know, and for us, I think about, you know, last year we leave the Georgetown game and, you know, those guys handled us well. And that was a hell of a team and great coaches and, you know, hats off to those guys. But I remember calling Mike Phipps afterwards, who was once a member of my staff. And I asked myself, what do we need to do? in order to compete this year. And he gave me an answer and I took that answer back to our staff and I shared that with those guys. And we had these great knockdown drag out meetings for uh, two straight days. And we were, you know, going into the belly of the beast facing Maryland uh, later that week. And we completely in a two, three day span changed the way that we started to attack on the offensive end of the field. And, um, realized by doing that we were probably going to give up something on the defensive end of the field but we sat down as a staff and we said let's do this let's try it our guys bought into it and it you know changed the complexion of our season so I think that risk-taking piece again uh, something that I always loved when we were working together is you know was never afraid to try something new no we definitely it was definitely a laboratory the Denver days is one of the topics that I was going to chat about with you here and and, because it was fun and I remember having a a very similar sit down you know with with you after we played Carolina in 2005 I think and we had this elaborate game plan and we were gonna like you know I don't know shut off Sankey and do this or you know except for when this was going and all of a sudden we you know we could score that year and we had good athletes but we just we did not you know we just our guys our guys, there was too much. It wasn't simple enough. And we didn't leverage our athleticism. And we were like, you know what? Screw it. From here on out, we're going to go down. We're going to go down swinging. And, and, and we really transformed our program at the University of Denver by, by cranking up pressure defense and exploring that and taking some chances. Um, but, uh, you know, so I'd be interested to hear your opinion on that. And, and, and then, you know, how's that going to 
going to come into play now that there's a shot clock where uh, putting some pressure on might be uh, a little easier to do when there's, you know, 60 seconds of it or 40 seconds of it rather than, you know, two and a half minutes against the University of Maryland in the playoffs or something. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, that was fun. And I remember you putting in the trail check defense while I was uh, picking up a VHS tape from Fred Acey down in Colorado Springs. <laughs> I came back and went, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> but it worked pretty damn well, so hats off to you, man. Um, no, that was a lot of fun, and, and we did. I mean, we had so many athletes on defense. And I think the one thing that, you know, we had out there was we had a lot of converted midfielders that played defense for us that were great stick handling, you know, players that, you know, really gave us an, a, a great personality and transition in the early offensive piece. And it's going to be fun to kind of see that come back into play now uh, with the shot clock. But, yeah, I think a lot of people are talking about with the shot clock. I think what's neat is there's a lot of different answers. There's a lot of different things that people have discussed. Is there going to be more zone? Is pressure going to be more prevalent? Uh, prevalent? Is it going to be, you know, a situation where the game doesn't change that much? Are you going to have to really – be aggressive in the substitution game to get guys on the field? Do you want guys playing defense to offense and then out? Do you want guys playing offense to defense then out? I mean, again, I sat down and had this conversation with Coach Bresch yesterday, and we bounced a million different ideas off of each other. But I think what's going to happen is and we haven't really played with the new rules yet. I think once we start playing with the new rules, we're going to have a much better understanding of what they look like. And it'll be interesting, too, to see – if the new rules actually stand, I mean, there's been conversations about the 60, you know, 20, 60 turning into 90, 30, 30, 90, 30, 90. And I think, um, you know, for all of us coaches in division one, we're trying to figure out, you know, what style we want to play, how we want to play that right now in the office. But I think once we hit the field, it's going to be a totally different thing. And we're going to be doing a lot of learning and coaching and figuring things out on the fly. And it's going to be a really, I think it's going to be a really neat season to see kind of what, what comes out of all this. Now, 20 seconds. Uh, so let's transition into new rules. You know, 20 seconds to get it over the midline versus 30 to get it into the box. What, in your opinion, what's the, what's the difference in the, in what, what can you do that you couldn't do or vice versa? Again, I don't, I don't 100% know yet. I mean, to sit here and say that we have a concrete answer in, in terms of what we want to do on the clear or the ride. Um, you know, for us, we've always been a team that likes to attack the ride. Uh, more so in like time segments. So that zero to four seconds that we want to get up and out and try to create transition is big for us. That four to eight where we start to get back to certain spots on the field. And then that like eight to 20, what used to be eight to 30, where you're trying to, you know, figure out and identify where certain guys are on the field that you can exploit with a two on one to get the ball over. Um, you know, with the riding game, uh, we used to do a lot of scheme-based rides, 10-man rides, uh, you know, trap rides, things of that sort. And uh, we've kind of gone more on the side of effort-based ride with our attack while our middies are either getting in the hole or getting off the field. But, again, it's, it's not something that I feel like I'm going to 100% know a good concrete answer for until we really get out on the field and start to – Again, like you said, like turn things into a little bit of a lab and throw some different ideas out there and try some different things. But it's going to be exciting this fall. So, but we do know that there was for, I don't know how many years and when it changed, but there, 20 seconds to clear the midline was a rule for a while. Do we have any idea like, you know, what can people remember back what they did? Have you talked to people about that or looked back at the analytics on, you know, what, what clearing percentages were like generally, um, you know, uh, when that, when was that five, eight years, 10 years ago? How many years ago was that? Do we, do we remember? Yeah, I'm not sure. 
you got to get your stat guy on that one. Yeah, seriously. Um, so, I mean, to me, I, I personally think it's going to be a riding advantage uh, if you want it to be, because I think it's harder to get it over in 20 seconds than it is to touch it in in 30. I mean, there was plenty of times when you could hear, um, you know, teams, a buzzer go off, you know, when the ball was still on the defensive end. And obviously that could have been because they were just taking their time because they knew they were going to be able to have enough time to clear it. But, you know, now it's like, okay, well, you know, if you can get someone to force to throw an over, throw it to, to a wing and then throw an overpass, you know, they're coming up on 10 seconds now. Let me ask you this. I mean, you've been in the MLL. How much is getting guys off the field on offense? Because I think that's the thing that, that, that you're going to have people having conversations about too. It's like, are two-way middies going to be more prevalent? Or is it going to be a situation where you're still able to get your guys off and your guys on? You know, when you talk about like MLL lacrosse and how quickly that game goes from, you know, one side of the field to the other, yes. you're still playing your top six guys, right? You're not doing a whole lot of situation scenarios where you're keeping no. guys on the field. So in that regard, is riding like imperative in that league or is it yeah. just a matter of right. like get your guys off and get guys on and clear the ball off bench side or get up in transition and you're out? You know, the answer is that there's very little riding. Um, there's riding off of, you know, timeouts and, and, you know, TV timeouts and stuff like that, you know. But, but there's also no practices. And so yeah. I think that, you know, like it's very hard to compare MLL to college with anything the MLL does in, in that sense. I mean, I, I do believe that you'd see much better defense out of the MLL and you'd see probably more riding. Uh, out of the MLL, although, you know, you know, as well as I do with, with writing that, you know, writing really works more, you know, in the middle, early in the season and, and maybe with, you know, mid-major level programs as opposed to like, it's, it, it, it's not impossible to ride people that have all great sticks and great athletes, but it, it becomes a lot harder. And so therefore I think, you know, maybe the MLL with a higher skill level might, maybe it would be harder actually to ride, but you're right. They're getting, they're getting players off. There's no question about that. You're just trying to, you're not, there's very few two way guys. It's because, but the roster sizes are so small too, that, you know, you just don't have that ability to have a, a, a mixture. I know Hunts and I were, Hunts was really interested in going down the path of trying to get more two way guys. Um, uh, he's going to try to get five attackmen and then like seven middies that could go two ways. That was something that he wanted to try to do for this past season. Um, but um, so are you sort of thinking that, Hey, maybe there's not going to be much riding because people are going to be too interested in just subbing. I, it's a good question. I mean, I think if you're playing two way guys and you feel confident with them getting back in the hole and playing, then I, maybe you will see a little bit more riding. Like if you're talking about what Hunts is saying, having like 12 guys, you could probably have a much more bigger personality in the ride. But if you're playing, there's certain teams that will play, you know, maybe three or four middies on a consistent basis. Are you going to risk riding to essentially have them play maybe a 60 second rep of defense to come back on the offensive end of the field and be a shell of kind of what they were, you know, two minutes ago. But what's the difference between that and the way it was? Because, I mean, in, in, on any midfield line, you have to have somebody, you know, that can get back in the hole, and you can almost always get two people off anyways. Yeah, well, I think the thing with that is, like, you, you'd have different things that would happen in the substitution game. I mean, sometimes you'd be in on the field, but you'd be, like, standing there. You know, or maybe you're, like, a guy who was setting a pick, but you'd usually come off at some point. Like, I don't know. It would be, it'd be interesting to see, like, how many teams actually played significant possessions in the 5-1-5 with guys stuck on the field and how many right. guys like, utilize a guy in the 6-on-6. Six six. But, um, yeah, it's – like I said, I don't know 
fully the answer to this, but you know, conversations like this definitely get the hamster wheel spinning. No doubt. Well, you know, it's really interesting too, because um, if you watch in the MLL, was, um, I'll say in this clip later, but there was um, a situation where Denver scored the game winner in the semifinals against Chesapeake. Um, and actually the guy, Patrick McEwen, who's uh, from Lax Film Room, I actually called him up after the rules because this guy's like, he's just so smart. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, and he ended up pointing this out to me and sending me this clip. But what happened was, is um, there was a, a screenshot by Lyle Thompson, a save by Dylan Ward, and he threw the ball out to, to the off-bench wing defender. And it was, um, you know, it looked like a riding situation, and the attack was kind of making their way over to try and uh, – try and turn that defenseman. The defenseman kind of got up the field off of one pass and he was running ahead of the attackman. And then next thing you know, midi, there was a, there was two defensemen running over with a, with a, with a, with the defensive shorty. Um, the guy, the demon with the ball, maybe a long stick midi and one shorty or something are running over and they're bringing middies with them. And um, meanwhile, the attack for Chesapeake was trying to turn this defender back and they were all sort of on the off bench side. And while that was happening, uh, defensemen and middies were getting off the field for, for O middies for Denver. And next thing you know, it's a four on three substitution, late transition substitution break that was, that happened because Chesapeake actually tried to ride with their attack and they didn't identify the difference between this is actually going to be transition. We better get the heck off the field to be able to get our guys on. And I think that there's going to be a lot of sub games that occur during the course of transitional reading. And I think that if you can, turn it into a ride, you probably can, you probably can ride, but you better, you better identify that real quick or otherwise you're going to get stuck with either the wrong personnel on the field, or you're going to get stuck in a, in a real bad sub game, which in the end of the day was the game winner with four minutes left um, Denver versus Chesapeake. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> it is four on three. The Philocrosophy podcast is brought to you by JM three sports Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 video assessment tool. So um, now talk about the dive. How pumped up are your guys about that? Oh, they're fired up. I mean, we went out yesterday. We bought the dive mat. So You did? The old dive mat. Dive mat. It looked a little bigger in the picture than it was in person. It was like one of those towels you buy where you put the water on it. And you're like, wait, this is it? <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't know if it's going to help a whole lot, but uh, our guys are excited. I think it just opens up so much real estate underneath. I think it's going to be a situation, and we talked about this, but just the fact that defensemen are going to have to get their hands on a guy a little sooner and, you know, engage and stay engaged and, you know, be in a position where they're kind of resetting their hands on rolls and chopping guys down to the end line. But, uh, you know, we've done it so, again, such minimally so far this fall, but uh, so far, whether it was one-on-ones or, Five on fives, four on fours. It's uh, it's been something that our guys have, have enjoyed. I don't think our goalies quite know yet, you know, how they can, you know, start to play a high arc or do different things to, you know, maybe get the referees to wipe the goal off. But again, something we're going to be working on a lot this fall and messing around with. Yeah, very cool. So, um, talk to me a little bit about, you know, building a culture, I, I kind of feel like, you know, one of the real advantages that you had at High Point was starting from scratch rather than, you know, having to in, inherit. Um, and I think that especially with a new program, 
um, to be able to establish, you know, a high point way of doing things. Um, but talk to us a little bit about the importance of building a culture and, and, you know, some of the, maybe some specific things that you do that you really, you know, that you think have been really helpful. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you this. I've shared this with a lot of people. I had a conversation with Andy Shea. I mean, it must've been eight years ago when I first got down here and I asked him, you know, point blank, I said, what differentiates you guys from some of the other teams in the Ivy League in terms of just the buy-in around your program and your culture? I mean, having been at Dartmouth two years previous and we played them a couple of times at Denver, I was just always impressed with the fact that they kind of had an identity and, um, you know, even through some some lean years early on there, uh, you know, Andy never seemed like he lost anybody and nobody ever wavered and everybody stayed on board and, you know, bought into what they've done. And you see the fruits of his labor now with the national championship. But he told me, he said, the, the thing that differentiates us is just a culture of buying with our parents. You know, we have parents that are completely bought into um, our ideals, what we do. They don't question us. And, you know, it's been pretty much a number one for us since I got down here is to find great parents um, that believe in what we do. And typically when you find those parents, their, their kids share the same values and beliefs. And, you know, we have recruits sitting in here and they're talking to us. Usually it's the parents that do 70%, 80% of the talking. Um, most kids kind of come into an environment where they're sitting in front of a, a division one staff and they're a little shy. They don't say much. They're a little reserved. They don't know how to be in that environment when their parents are, are fairly open. And we do a lot of research just in the recruiting game of, making sure that we're going to find people that, you know, on our darkest days when we've had a couple losses or we've, you know, had some struggles with playing time or, you know, things aren't going exactly the way they thought they were going to go when they came in, we need them to just never waver. And uh, I feel like for all the things that we've done um, and all the things we've been able to accomplish in the seven years that, that I've been here, um, just the people that we have in our program and the lack of issues that we have off the field, and the buy-in around, you know, what we do and how we do it. And um, it's just been, it's just been remarkable. And again, I, I give all credit to our guys, their parents, our staff. I mean, they are just a completely bought in group. I don't think we've ever walked out of the office as a staff and not been on the same page. Um, we got each other's back and I think the guys see that unified front and they start to buy in and they follow that same belief system. But I think ideally, across the board, any coach's probably main goal and objective is to probably be in a position where they don't have to say a whole lot. Their guys just kind of know what to do. They know how to act. They know how to behave. And for us, you know, we strive to have that player-driven culture that, you know, allows us to feel confident that our guys are going to make great decisions off the field on a Friday, Saturday night, um, you know, that are going to be in a position where, they're giving you feedback if things aren't going well on the field or off the field. They're taking care of what they need to take care of academically. And, you know, you don't have to address a whole lot of effort-related issues on the field. And I feel just blessed and fortunate to be around a group of guys, both our team, our staff, and everybody that's associated with our program, from our administrators to our academic liaisons to, I mean, Steve, our janitor, who's literally like, a mentor to me. I mean, the guy's the greatest. He's in the locker room. He's busting chops with the guys. He sits down in my office and hangs out. I mean, everybody that's associated with our program from top to bottom is just so bought into what we do. And, um, you know, it makes, it makes coming in here a lot of fun. And I think it's, you know, a reason why our culture is kind of the way it is. We kind of trust one another and we give each other the opportunity to, you know, have a voice and 
and uh, it turns out into you know being a pretty good thing. It's a great point, man, because without a question, the parents are having the influence on the kids, whether the kids want to believe it or not. They, even if the kids don't buy into what the parents are saying, they have, they have they're, they're, you know, the parents making excuses for them. Uh, they're giving them outs. Um, they're swaying their opinion. And, you know, it reminds me of sitting in the office with uh, a, a dad and he was telling us that he could dunk. You remember that? Oh, yeah. That, he was a beauty. That was uh, – that should have been a red flag for us on that one, eh? That was pretty funny, man. <laughs> I remember you saying, like, all right, let's go down right now. I want to see you dunk. He was basically just trying to, like, impress us with how athletic he was. And he was like a 5'10", kind of out of shape, 50-year-old. Uh, that was awesome, man. It yeah, it's um, – you, you come across a lot of different people. But, uh, you know, when you have the support of your administration, you have the support of your parents, it makes everything that you do so much easier. I mean, and, and again, like I said, like you look at our team last year and we roll into conference play 0-6. We had played at the time the you know, toughest strength of schedule in the country with, you know, St. John's and Duke and, and UVA and, and Maryland and Robert Morris and Georgia. I mean, there are some beasts on that schedule. And, uh, you know, we're sitting at 0-6. I'm standing in front of our team completely vulnerable. I say to them, listen, I've never been here before. I don't know what this is like. I don't know what to say but I truly believe in you guys. And I think what we're doing is going to work. Just keep on going. And, um, you know, at that point, at that 0-6 point, when a couple kids hadn't played or, you know, there was some adversity with some injuries and some different things, we could have had that locker room kind of divide. But, you know, credit to our parents, our leaders, our staff, like nobody wavered. And, you know, we ended up turning an 0-6 start into a regular season conference championship. And it's a great story for our guys to kind of take on and, and carry with them for the rest of their lives. So, and I learned this from AT. AT, you know, Andy Towers had this line, and he would always say it to parents when they came to visit. And we'd always say this to people. Uh, we, you know, we've 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 had you know parent manuals and different things we put together in parent meetings. And he'd always tell people, come in with the expectation that your kid's never going to be playing or and be pleasantly surprised when they do. And that way, when you do that, you know, you're not upset when your kid just hits all conference when you thought he should be an All American or you know, you're not thinking that your transition from high school is going to be what you're, you know, is going to be as seamless as you think it's going to be. There's going to be some rough roads ahead. There's going to be a lot of things that happen, but understand that, you know, and I want our guys to understand this, understand that our main goal and objective is to help these guys become better people. The next is to help them get great opportunities, you know, job opportunities and internships. And then it's just, you know, if we can help you become a better lacrosse player and we can help you academically and you can get something out of this experience and, stay healthy, then listen, it's a, it's a pretty good thing. And you're seeing that now as a, a dad of a Division One college athlete. He's in an unbelievable program with phenomenal mentors. And you got to be the happiest dad on the face of the earth just knowing that he's in a great environment. No question about it. I really am. I couldn't be happier with, you know, with Brush and with North Carolina. And, you know, you hope, you hope your kid gets a chance to play. But I, I, I'm around, you know, parents all the time and you listen to – people, you know, being positive or negative or whatever. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just, it's just awesome to have an opportunity to be, to, to learn the life lessons. I mean, these kids become young men because they have to, because they have got real responsibilities and they have real sacrifice. And I really feel like from a training and preparation perspective, you know, the opportunity to play division one men's lacrosse um, or women's lacrosse or any sports is just, it's absolutely priceless.
Um, well, that said, I want to I want to move into an, another topic for you that I know that you and I are both passionate about. You you kind of uh, alluded to it earlier, but um, you know, I think one of one of one of your signatures is player development. Talk a little bit about you know that that from a philosophical and 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 just a, a pure passion perspective. Yeah, I mean it's it's the greatest thing in the world to see a guy go from point A to point B as a person, as a student, as an and as an athlete. And, uh, you know, again, it's something that I truly became addicted to when I was out there working with you. And then we talk about this with our guys all the time, like what's a good addiction, you know, is, is, is you know, putting your hands on your teammate and helping a guy and picking him up when he's down, man, that, that's addicting. You want to do that not just for that guy, but you want to do it for other people. You know, getting out and seeing improvement in your game, get addicted to that because it's a ton of fun. And for us, I mean, I try to keep the game as simple as possible like most coaches do for their guys and the way we kind of explain the game of lacrosse is it's a simple game offensively the main objective is to get to the middle of the field all right and score defensively your main objective is to protect the middle of the field and then when we talk about developing offense and defense and in, in those individuals in that scheme it's let's make sure we can put ourselves in a position where we can beat our guy first and foremost on offense, let's make sure we can put ourselves in a position where we can control our matchup on defense, and then we will build up our systems of support defensively, our offensive movement, our cut action off of that. And so most of what we do early on is kind of a balance between technique work, that's, you know, different kind of dodge options that you could have, and, you know, the speed, the physicality, and the, the, the movements and motions that this game kind of puts puts in forth, you know, so many different times during the course of a game where they create like different gray areas. So, I mean, to, to, to put it in a nutshell, that's kind of our development. It's about getting to the middle of the field on offense, protecting the middle of the field on defense and developing the individuals in your program to be able to do that on a, on a regular basis. I mean, that's how things open up. If you were going to give advice to, uh, you know, high school kids um, or if their parents are listening to this, you know, what's your advice on, on being on being good enough, on on being skilled enough. How how do you develop? You know, before you get to college. Uh, you know, I mean, there's so like I said before, there's so many resources now to take advantage of. I mean, there's so many different things online. Um, there's videos. I mean, my God, if I had the you know access that these kids kids do nowadays to watch full game films and highlight films, um, I'd like to think I'd probably be a lot better than I was. I think all of us would have been, um, but. There's just so many different things out there now. There's, you know, there's great club programs. There's amazing high school coaches. There's, you know, colleges that, you know, will run things like prospect camps and give you the opportunity to come in and kind of learn their system of fundamentals and see if you can do it. And then that translates over to games. But um, you just got to surround yourself with greatness. I tell that with to our guys all the time. We've got a guy that works here um, at, at, at High Point who is one of the best back PT guys in, in the world and he's working with elite level athletes and he's such an incredible personality and I say he's the best at what he does in the world and I want our guys around him not just to you know get rehab and, and you know physically get back to the field but just to pick his brain and talk to him about the way he thinks and how he attacks the day and how he sees things and I think the more you can surround your kids the more you can surround your players the more you can surround yourself with you know, a group of elite level people that, you know, hold themselves to a high standard and, and you know, are, again, considered the best of what they do from where they come from. Um, the more you're going to learn, the more you're going to grow and the more you're going to get out of life. 
How important is video to your ability to develop players and develop your team? Uh, it's, it's truth serum. Absolute truth serum. I mean, it's just, you can think, and it's funny, like I'm sure you've done this before where you like watch films of yourself playing at Brown and you felt like you were the greatest player in the world and you watch yourself and you're like, oh my God, that was horrible. You know, <laughs> I think everybody does that when you. It's a good thing they didn't film us playing full court one on one twos and threes to a hundred. <laughs> we would have had some NBA scouts interested. I think they would have um, seen how many times you fouled me. Yes, exactly. Uh, you love one on one though, man, because you are not a big passer. I'll tell you that much. Another <laughs> topic for another time. Um, no, but uh, I don't even remember what the question was, so I'm not even going to answer. The question that. was video in player development and how do you guys leverage that? Um, because one of the things that I've been exploring a ton of, um, is just the use, the use of video. Um, I mean, I, listen, we, we at Denver, I remember starting to film every practice in, um, the 2000 season was the first time I ever started filming. And it was because I didn't know how to coach zone. And I was like, I wanted to play zone against Villanova's inverts. And it was, you know, four or five years before you got there. And, we started filming. I was like, wow, I just learned a lot from this. And we started from that point on filming every single practice. And you remember we would watch every single practice, you know, and break it down and stop it and look at it. And it's really where I did the majority of my learning was from watching practice film. I mean, game film, sure. But practice films where you get to see so many more reps. And so now I'm sort of taking this to uh, the concept of being able to try to help help coaches and players remotely. And I, I think I look at it and I'm like, you know, in the sport of golf, you would never, you would never work with a coach that, you know, doesn't use video, but yet in, in lacrosse, the, you know, until you get to college, most people really aren't leveraging it beyond their highlight videos. Um, and so, you know, I'm just trying to educate people on, on just the power of it. Yeah. It's a great point. I mean, you need it. You absolutely need it. Um, and I think it's, not only is it like technique based, but you know, how you operate off the ball and, you know, both on the defensive side, the offensive side, what your effort looks like, you know, you might think one thing it's, you know, might be another thing, but uh, we utilize it all the time. And we've gotten to the point where, you know, we, we film from basically two angles. We film from a drone that we have multiple batteries for, uh, for you know, and that, that gives you such an incredible perspective. Uh, perspective like we used to get out of the window of the Ritchie Center, being able to see things from a from an aerial view, yep. and then you get the perspective from the box that's you know giving you the full field, kind of what you're used to watching, you know, the sport of lacrosse on, and um, you know take it out there. I do a lot of stuff on my iPhone with um, just filming guys. You know, we do individual sessions and playing it back for them right there, and kind of fixing the issue at that moment so that they can see themselves. And we do a lot of slow mo with that. Um, but it, it's, it is, like I said, it's truth serum. I mean, you see it right away and you get that feedback right away. And just with technology nowadays, with just being able to, you know, have a practice, have it filmed and then come inside, hang out with the guys for a little bit, talk, you know, you know, shoot the, you know, shoot the crap with your staff and get ideas from them back and forth. But then, you know, be able to 15 minutes later, sit down and watch that practice for that day. I mean, it's something that we do every single day. It's built into our schedule. If we go from 6.30 to 9, 9 to 9.30 is this kind of chaotic period where we can hang out with our team and sit down as a staff. But that 9.30 to 11, before we'll get a staff workout at 11, is all built on what's our team about, watching film, 
breaking things down. And I find myself throughout the course of the day, like sending little video clips and films to our guys and just staying engaged in the conversation, you know, throughout the day with, Hey, look, this is what happened to practice. Let's fix this. Or, Hey, great job right here. Keep doing that. Or, Hey, make sure you're helping out this guy. And to me, like, that's how you lead. That's how you get guys to, you know, buy in, trust and understand, you know, what they need to do. I think a lot of people will like watch film as a, as a group, you know, in, in front of their entire team. And it might be 15 minutes long. But when you start breaking things down for guys on an individual basis, um, it, it just means so much to them. And it just allows you to just, like I said, just stay engaged with the guys that you're coaching. It, it, you know, it's funny because like the, that individual basis piece, you know, is so important too, because it, a lot of times when you send them a clip, you know, you can, they can watch it, you know, kind of whenever they want, wherever they want, they can be alone. They have got a time to look at it and process it, you know, in real time, you know, there's so many things going through people's heads. And when you're, when you're explaining something to them, half the time, I mean, Torp, remember how many arguments we would have about something? And then like after two hours of talking about it, we would realize we were like talking about two different things. <laughs> and it's just like, that's what happens with coaching all the time. People, people, um, you know, people think you're t talking about one thing and you're talking about another thing. And when you, when you can actually put it on film right in front of them, it, it just breaks it down to a point where it's like, it's crystal clear. And, um, so yeah, it's really cool. I mean, um, you know, I'll tell you this too, like you need to have someone that, I mean, it, it helps so much to have someone that has like a second level knowledge of what it is that they're looking at. You know, I think some people, you know, who might not have played the game at the highest level or coached the game at the highest level are going to give you, as we used to call them, like hot tip feedback, you know, yeah. stuff that might not be, um, you know, things that are going to actually help you get to the next level. But when you get somebody that can actually break it down and give you feedback and, that feedback is going to be, you know, instant success. If you can perform that skill, then to me, that's invaluable. I mean, that's, it's just, uh, it's, it's the thing that, you know, creates a difference in terms of, you know, being good and being great. Huge. So, uh, so how you feel? Tell us a little bit about the year and tell us about some of your players. Uh, my favorite player in your team is, is the best player ever to come out of the state of Colorado. I'd say Asher Nolting was a uh, tour time was he, he, he was a, he was a nominee or a, uh, what was his, where he got to the, to the list of uh, nominees, right? Yeah, he was a nominee. Yep. And uh, as a freshman player of the year of your conference, I believe as a freshman, um, incredibly special player. And I know you got a ton of players, but to give us a little, uh, give us a little heads up on what you think this, this season's going to be like. Yeah, I'm excited about our guys. I think we've got a lot of talent in the locker room. We got some holes to fill certain positions with some awesome guys that graduated last year. Um, you know, got some leadership roles to fill. We're still kind of seeing who our guys are that are stepping up both on and off the field and taking charge. But, uh, you know, I think it starts with our goalie. Uh, we've got two really good goalies. We've got a young goalie who's going to push two. But our two goalies, I mean, Timmy Troutner, I think will be one of the top goalies in the country this year. In my opinion, he's a team or All-American in terms of what he does saving the ball, what he does clearing the ball how he commands our defense. Uh, he's one of the best guys I've ever had the opportunity to coach. Griff Basile, who's behind him, is uh, just incredible in terms of how he's learned. And, and our goalies are just unique. I mean, they're just always pulling for one another. Um, they support one another. Uh, they, you know, look out for one another. It's just, it, it's, it's as tight-knit of a group as our face-off guys. And, I, you know, I look at that group and I say, you know, what David Sampierre did last year, you know, under – 
uh, Coach Burchard's tutelage. I mean, he did a fantastic job of just becoming, um, you know, one of the more consistent faceoff guys in Division One. And you got Brandon Savoy under him. You got some younger guys that, you know, have, have really started to separate there too. Jack Cook's doing really well. Um, you know, we've got a couple younger guys there, Dax Krieger and, and uh, Andrew Albertson. I think we'll, we'll add some depth in that position. Midfield, a lot of depth there. Uh, I could go on forever talking about those guys. Attack, like you mentioned, Asher Nolting. He's uh, a special guy as I've had the opportunity to work with. And, you know, what makes him special is not just his ability to dodge, but just how selfless a teammate he is and how hard he rides. I mean, that's what made me fall in love with that kid. I mean, he rides so hard. And I think that's something our entire attack group, whether it's, you know, Sean Codlin or Chris Young or Tyler Stinson or Ben Baker. I mean, those guys are just animals in the ride. And then defensive midfield wise, I feel incredibly confident in that group. I think they got a lot of seasoning last year. Got a junior, two sophomores, um, three, sorry, two juniors, two sophomores and uh, a freshman that I think are going to add an incredible amount of depth and be able to do multiple things, both on the defensive end of the field in the clear and then in the substitution game slash early offense portion of things that I think are going to become, you know, a lot more um, magnified this year. And then defensively, uh, we've got some guys returning, but, you know, that's an area of the field that we got to improve on. we got to get better at. And, um, you know, I look at the development of some of those guys so far and the way they attack the summer, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what that group can do this year. So it's a good group. Um, new staff, um, you know, Connor McKemmy, who's been, on staff for the last two years and played here for four years and is one of the most um, amazing people I've ever had the opportunity to get to be around and know is um, taking over a volunteer role is going to work with our face-off guys and help out with the offense. Kenny Brochard is going to take, uh, take, take over the offense for Pat Tracy, you know, one of my all-time favorite people one of my best friends who took an athletic director position up in Baltimore. Um, and then Justin Toom is going to come in work with the defense and the goalies and uh, like the way kind of everything's coming together here as the season, um, you know, is, is upon us, at least the fall season. It's awesome. Well, Tor, it was, uh, it was really great to hear your insights on, on all these different topics and talking about, you know, player development and video and new rules and culture. And it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. And, and I uh, wish you the best. It was great to have you on board. Um, I uh, can't wait to see your team. And like I said, Asher, I'm from Colorado. He's from Colorado and, He's for, for people that don't know who this guy is, he's going to be one of the best players, you know, in college across this year. He was last year as a freshman and now as a sophomore, you know, I, I look forward to seeing the shot clock winding down and giving the ball to him and see what he can do at the end of it. That's going to be a nice little, uh, a nice little uh, option to have, but um, enjoy the rest of the fall Torp and, uh, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks for having me on Jamie. All right. Torps. The Philacrosophy podcast is brought to you by JM three sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 video assessment tool.